Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and I am not joined, as always, by uh, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. He always is a little bit flexible. Sometimes he joins me, sometimes he doesn't. Most of the time he does. But, you know, sometimes Joe has other stuff going on in his life. For example, a gym renova- renovation right now that he's uh, undergoing at uh, Bazooka Kickboxing. So I said to him, you know, he's trying to make time for the show. I said, take the week off. I got this. I got this. So if you're looking for Joe's uh, fantastic insight, you will not be getting it this week. So you can just shut the show off right now. If, I mean, if, if that's all, if it's just Joe that you tune in for, then better luck for me next week. And I understand completely because Joe is a... Virtuoso when it comes to breaking down what we see in the other uh, cage week after week. And while I am not a virtuoso at breaking down what we see, I will try to give you uh, a good look at uh, what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts, as I do every single week. But I've got to say something. I think we all need to go into the confession booth uh, right now as, as mixed martial arts enthusiasts and say that we have sinned. We have underestimated the great Derek Lewis. I think that it's very fair to say at this point in time that we do not give Derek credit for being the fantastic athlete that he is. You look at Derek Lewis, you don't think fantastic athlete. Looks can be deceiving. And you know, he's always making jokes, making us laugh. And uh, that the thing about that is that we... Don't take him seriously sometimes. And we need to take the man seriously because he has dynamite in those hands. But that's obvious. I think that everybody has understood what we're getting with Derek Lewis at this point in time. We, we know what this man's capable of at 36 years old. We know what this man's capable of in the heavyweight division. We've seen it time and time again. We saw what happened at the end of the fight with Alexander Volkov. We saw that he got a win over Francis Ngannou. Although that was a, you know, a very, very slow-paced low-output fight, but he got the decision nonetheless. I always think, should I go back and watch that fight? And then I say, no, I probably shouldn't. But it might be interesting to watch the nuances of that fight. I just don't know if I want to uh, take the time to do that. But right now, he's on a four-fight win streak. He had two losses, uh, Daniel Cormier, Junior Dos Santos, and then since then, uh, in the last two years, nearly two years, wins over Blagoy Ivanov, Ilir Latifi, Alexei Olenek, and Curtis Blades. So, now he's all of a sudden number two in the heavyweight division once more. I mean, this guy is just a a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. But, let's take a look at the fight with Blades, because Blades made a mistake. And I don't know if it was his corner that told him to do this, or just, you know, his mentality is wrestle, 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 which he's always said that's what he wants to do. If you can't stop me from taking you down, I'm going to take you down. But, Blades stopped him from taking him down. In the first round, Blade switches levels, goes to take down Blade, uh, goes to take down Lewis. Lewis stops the takedown and it just unleashes a flurry on him and, and basically says, "Don't do that, don't try doing that again because you're going to pay for it." And and Blade did pay for it in the first round in that one instance, but Blades then went to the striking game. Blades was landing more volume. Blades was putting it on Lewis. Blades was backing him into a corner, and of course Lewis is swinging. Lewis picks his shots. He's not the guy, the kind of guy that's going to land a hundred. Sh- you know, 100 significant strikes in a fight. He's the type of guy that is going to pick his battles. He's going to pick his spots. He's going to try to land 
the precision shot, the knockout shot, the kill shot. So in the first round, when Blades tried to take him down and was unsuccessful, and he met uh, a barrage of strikes from Lewis, maybe, just maybe, and again, hindsight is twenty twenty, but maybe, just maybe, he should have just kept it on the feet. He would have been able to outlast him in the cardio department. He would have probably been able to put on more of a pace. He probably could have stayed out of danger. Because what's gotten Blades into trouble is when he tries to go for takedowns. When he tries to go for takedowns, we saw what happened with Nganu in the second fight. In the first fight against Nganu, you know, that was really his only weapon was the wrestling. He would admit that to you. But his striking has elevated. You know, last week he said he's at about a 7 out of 10 out of striking. And to beat Derek Lewis, sometimes maybe you just need to be a 7 out of 10. And maybe not. Maybe Derek Lewis is, is still going to find that counter with Blades if Blades just keeps on the feet. But I'll say this, when Lewis stuffed that takedown in the first round and he let Blades know that that was not a good idea, I think Blades could have stuck with the game plan and just stayed on the feet. Again, I, I don't mean to play armchair coach here, and far be it from me to say that he should have done something. Obviously, his instincts are telling him something different. Obviously, his strategy from his coaches is something different. Lesson learned for Curtis Blades. But going for that takedown, Derek Lewis was watching him like a hawk. For that entire fight, waiting for that spot. And Blades gave it to him, and we saw his power. And, you know, it's rare for me to be able to just say it's over when we see something like that. But as soon as he made contact, before Blades kind of doubled over, I was like, it's over. You just knew that that was the the pinpoint accuracy was there. You saw Blades kind of go a little bit stiff, and that's all she wrote. And he landed some extra shots he probably didn't need to land, but. You know, it's easy for us to say that we would walk away at that time. We're not in there. When you're in there, you're in competitive mode. You, you, you've hit that switch from, you know, non-fighter to fighter, so to speak, from the guy outside the cage to the guy inside the cage. That switch goes off. You land a couple extra shots, and, uh, you know, he said that's Herb's fault, and it kind of is. Herb was a little bit out of position. But these things happen in the blink of an eye. You know, it, it's easy for us to say Herb should have gotten in there faster. Again, now now we're playing armchair referee. And maybe he should have gotten in there faster. Maybe he could have gotten in there faster. Maybe he should have yelled stop, 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 and hoped that Lewis stopped. Or... But maybe, and maybe he did do that. Maybe he did just stop. But, uh, I mean, that fight was over. <laughs> that fight was very over. Uh, and those shots were, those last shots were difficult to watch. They are, they're always difficult to watch when you have a, a defenseless, motionless opponent and uh, a guy with the power of... Derek Lewis. I mean, that can that can shorten his fight career because Blades took those shots completely defenseless, and those are big shots. Be that as it may, again, I think we owe Derek Lewis an apology. I just think we underestimate the guy. I think that he he makes jokes, he makes us laugh. He's lost some fights in the UFC, not many. He's lost to lost to Mitrione early in his career, Sean Jordan. Again, early in his career, that was back in 2015, six years ago. Mark, then they went on a big win streak. One, two, three, four, five, six in a row. And then a knockout loss to Mark Hunt. Fourth round, he had just run out of gas in that fight. But then railed off three in a row, including wins over Nganu and Volkov, who are two of the top guys in the division. Lost to Cormier, lost to Junior Dos Santos. So, you know, those are those are pretty big names to lose to, at least the ones later in his career. You know, early in his career. That loss to Mitrione was in the first minute of the fight. It was in his second UFC fight. You know, or third UFC fight, rather. So, he's grown so much, and he's gotten so good 
And uh, again, I just don't think that he gets enough credit for A, his speed, B, his accuracy, uh, C, his fight IQ, really. I mean, he's got high fight IQ. He knew how to win that fight. He knew exactly what he had to do to get that win. And it was a low probability win. And, you know, people use the term puncher's chance and, and all that, and I think that was his chance. But when you punch like Derek Lewis, it, it ends up being a better chance than most people give you credit for. And uh, I, I'm among those people. I, I thought that Derek Lewis was going to take him down, was going to, you know, take down, stay on top, rinse, repeat, maybe get a finish on the ground, maybe go for a sub, maybe try to pound him out. Uh, and I thought he'd be able to do it with relative ease, and uh, that just did not happen. So uh, good on Derek Lewis. Great win for him. Now we can kind of sit back, but it seems like he just wants to fight again. That he's, you know, he's calling out Overeem, who's ranked below Derek Curtis Blades, who he just beat. I'd like to see them run back the Volkov fight, honestly. I, I think that's uh, the fight to make. But uh, we also have this weekend's main event, Cyril Gunn against Jairzinho Rosenstrike. So let's, uh, let's see what happens there. Rest of the card, not a ton to talk about. Uh, Chris Dawkins establishes himself as a top 10 heavyweight in the UFC, gets that First round win, third first round TKO win for Dawkins in as many fights in the UFC. Tom Aspinall, I thought, should have been ranked after his performance against Andre Arlovsky. Knocks Arlovsky down, gets the uh, the submission. Odds on him getting a submission were more to t than 10 to 1. Good on uh, Tom Aspinall for that one. I thought that was a good performance. Uh, Jared Gordon with a, a pretty dominant performance over Danny Chavez, an underdog. Uh, I was very surprised that Arosa was able to dispatch of Nate Landwehr in the first uh, minute of that fight. I thought that stoppage was uh, was a pretty good stoppage. Uh, you know, a lot of people questioned it. And we got to give a shout-out to the Canadian, Eamon Zahabi, for a win over uh, Draco Rodriguez. And speaking of Eamon Zahabi, he will join us to talk about that win on uh, the TSN MMA show. We're not going to do an interview edition this week. We're going to put it all on one show. we got interviews with Eamon Zahabi, Cyril Gunn, and, of course... The other part of the main event, Jairzinho Rosenstrike. So let's take a look at this weekend's card, shall we? A couple of changes to the card. We have lost Alonzo Menafield versus William Knight. We have lost a couple other fights as well, including Macy Chasson and Marion Renault, a very French fight. We have lost... Uh, what was the other one we lost? There, there were a couple fights that got uh, removed from this card that have been pushed back. I'm trying to remember exactly which ones, because uh, it's just always in flux, it seems. There's always something going on. Oh, yeah, we lost the uh, Rioni Barcelos fight, and now his opponent will be taking on Charles Jodin in March. So Barcelos uh, without an opponent, I believe he got I believe, uh, I'm not sure who he's going to get matched up with, but... Uh, we uh, also added a, uh, a replacement opponent. Alex Oliveira was supposed to face Randy Brown, and now he's facing Ramazan Kuramagomedov, who was on the Dana White Contender Series, a, a great prospect who has moved down to welterweight from the middleweight division. That should be an interesting one. But uh, going to the main event in the co-main, I really like the main and co-main. Uh, we've got uh, Magomed Ankolaev, minus 350 as a favorite against Nikita Krylov, plus 290. I honestly, I think Ankolaev would be favored against anybody in the light heavyweight division right now, except for maybe Israel, if, if you want to count Israel as a light heavyweight. And of course, John Jones is, is no longer a light heavyweight, uh, at least so they say. But uh, Ankolaev, to me, has the uh, the makings of a future champion. I think he can just do it all. He's got great wrestling. His, his striking is really elevated. His power striking's gotten really good. 
Uh, and I think he will, uh, he'll beat Krilov in this co-main event and continue to move up that ladder. And, uh, of course, the aforementioned uh, Gon versus Rosenstrike. Uh, I like this one a lot, too. This is a, a big, big test for Gon. And I'm I'm shocked that he's this big of a favorite, honestly, especially after what we saw this last weekend with Blades and uh, Lewis. This is the heavyweight division. Anything can happen. And you've got a guy with a massive uh, kickboxing pedigree in Rosenstrike taking on Gon, who's... You know, best attribute is his striking. I don't think Gon's going to be looking for takedowns. I don't think he's going to try to take... The, I think he's going to want to keep it standing. That's his best attribute as well. He's a Muay Thai champion from uh, from France. But uh, I just think Rosenstrike might actually have the better pedigree in terms of uh, the stand-up combat sports. And uh, I actually think that as a, as an underdog of this size, it's certainly worth a look. It's one of my TSN Edge plays this week is Rosenstrike. I think that you're just getting way too much value. I, I think Gon has the, the makings of being a top-five guy at heavyweight, but uh, this might be too much too soon. I, I'm, I'm not really too sure how this one goes. Um, my other plays for TSN Edge this week. One was a uh, an Ankalaev parlay with Sabina Mazo. I'm hoping all these cards, these fights stay on the cards. Rosenstrike was one. And uh, Pedro Munoz at plus 130, I think, uh, has a lot of value against uh, Jimmy Rivera. So let's uh, let's see how these ones all play out. I, I like I like what I see on the main card of this uh, this particular event. I think you've got some really solid undercard bouts. Uh, Oliveira Kuramagomedov. I'm looking forward to Thiago Moises versus Alexander Hernandez. I think is a great fight. Uh, I think that uh, Ashley Hill, sorry Ashley Yoder versus Angela Hill. I'm confusing the first name suddenly. That's a good one. Even Jacoby versus Maxim Grishin should be a lot of fun early on in the card. So we'll have to see. How all of these play out, I, I'm looking forward to this, but I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that one week later, you got UFC 259. Three titles on the line. If you take all of the UFC's divisions, you've got five division divisional champions out of 12 competing. That's a, a massive percentage. It's like almost 20% of the UFC's champions. Uh, no, that that's a... Is that the wrong number? I think that might be the wrong number. Five out of 12... It's uh so sorry that's like forty percent of the UFC's divisional champions. Pardon my math. They're all uh competing, trying to win gold. You've got Israel Adesanya minus two fifty favorite as the challenger for the light heavyweight title. And you've got Amanda Nunes an overwhelming minus twelve hundred favorite. Pretty remarkable for uh the lioness. Nice to see. You've also got uh, Joseph Benavidez and Dominic Cruz, both underdogs, competing on the uh, the undercard. Makes me feel old to see that. To see to see Benavidez and Cruz as underdogs actually hurts my heart. Makes me feel old. Cruz is an underdog to Casey Kenny. I, I like it's unbelievable to me. I have trouble wrapping my head around something like that. You know, I mean, Dominic Cruz has been the, is I think the greatest bantamweight of all time. And, uh, you know, Benavidez and Cruz and the WEC, those guys were just like, those guys are legends. Those guys are, could both be Hall of Famer. I mean, Cruz will be a Hall of Famer. I think Benavidez might be a Hall of Famer also. It's just like, wow. Both underdogs, very surprising. And you've got uh, Alexander Rockage versus Thiago Santos on that card as well. It's just like, it's an embarrassment of riches, that card. you got Dober versus Makhachev. How many fights do they have scheduled for this card? Because I'm sure that they want to make this as ironclad as possible. you got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 fights scheduled for that event. 
Will we get more than 12? I think you got to set the over-under as 12. Whenever you have 15 scheduled, that's that's what you set the line as. Maybe 12 and a half. And see if you can hit the over or the under. I personally will take... Oh man, I don't want to take the under. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to be an optimist. I'm going to be a glass half full type guy for UFC 259. I just have to. I, 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 want, I want that card to to be to stay as close as possible to uh, the the amount of fights scheduled. Figueredo versus Moreno 2. Taking place in June. You're already booking fights for June. UFC 263, I think it is. In June. <laughs> That's a long time away. It feels like when you have a... Uh, when you look in your backyard here in Canada and you see six inches of snow on the ground, June seems like an eternity away. But uh, it's booked, the, the rematch. You've also got uh, the women's flyweight title on the line. That's at UFC 261, I believe. Between Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade. I think this is the second most competitive fight that you've got for Shevchenko since she became the champion when she fought Joanna Janjacek. I guess that was for the vacant title, so I don't even think she was champion at that point in time. But this is uh, the the most competitive uh, fight that she's had booked, in my opinion, since Joanna Janjacek. Coincidentally, both against fighters that have been former champions of the strawweight division. So I am greatly looking forward to that one. And uh, personally, I think that uh, Andrade has the tools to make this a tough fight for Shevchenko. I really do. I think that she might be able to bring some new looks to Shevchenko that she hasn't seen in a while. She's going to be a smaller fighter, a faster fighter. Will be able to put volume on her. Has good power for the division. Fight-ending power. So uh, that one is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, One thing that hasn't really been discussed here in North America all that much is that the uh, the UFC announced that they have uh, a new broadcast partner in China, and they've launched the Dana White Contender Series uh, Asia. But they signed on with Migu, which is a subsidiary of uh, of China Mobile. China Mobile has about a billion subscribers. And this is where the uh, the NBA is broadcast in uh, in China. They're going to have a lot of eyeballs in China and uh, and surrounding areas. Um, or uh, republics of, of... I don't know if China, if Hong Kong is considered a republic. I don't want to get that wrong. But uh, you're going to have a lot of eyeballs on the UFC in that part of the world. So uh, kudos to them on signing that. That's a, that's a, a big, big opportunity for them to, to grow their base in that side of the world. And I think that uh, that's going to be really exciting to see. That the growth of the uh, the Asian region, especially when you look at you know Zhang Weili, you look at the Leech Li Jinglang, you look at a lot of these great talent that have come out of China, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of growth in that region over the next five years. Be interesting to see what the UFC roster looks like five years from now. How many fighters from that region will be on the roster, especially when you have a contender series that's launching there. And I'm also interested to see how uh, the fighters that got the scholarships uh, that the UFC have given out over the years and have them train in the, uh, the Performance Institute in Shanghai, how they're going to end up looking. Because they're putting a lot of resources into those fighters, and who I'm sure we'll see on the Contender Series, if not getting signed outright. And uh, that's big news for the UFC from a business standpoint. When we get to our interviews, we've got uh, Eamon Zahabi joining us, we've got Cyril Ghan, we've got 
Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Let's get to those interviews, and then we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit to close things out. But uh, I really would like for you to hear them. They're uh, they're solid interviews, at least in my opinion, and that's what matters. We'll start off with our interview with Eamon Zahabi, the Canadian, coming off of uh, the biggest win of his mixed martial arts career, a first-round knockout of Draco Rodriguez, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm now joined by one of the big winners this past weekend. It's Eamon Zahabi. First off, I've got to ask you, you get a $50,000 bonus. How much does that help you in terms of your day-to-day life with your family? Listen, it's life-changing. I, I didn't tell you guys before, but I had bought a house 10 days before the fight. Uh, it's the second time I'm doing this. The first time I bought a condo in my first UFC fight. I bought it two weeks before the fight. And you know, my wife and I have been looking for a house ever since the pandemic started. And it was very tough to find a house, man. This, the market is skyrocketing. And uh, we met a lovely couple on this beautiful house in Blainville. And uh, we ended up putting an offer and we got accepted. Congratulations. So it's help with the down payment for sure. <laughs> so there you Thank go. You. That helps a lot. And I know that this was yeah, a difficult, you, uh, difficult camp for you because you, uh, you need to rely a lot on your in-laws and, and things like that to watch, uh, watch your daughters in, in order for you to train properly. Yeah, because my wife started a class and I told her to take the class because my fight would have been over because I was planning to fight December 19th and her class was starting in January. So I'm like, oh, I'll take the class. Um, my, my training is going to be relaxed in January. Then I catch COVID and the fight got pushed. So her class is at night. I have to train at night and in the daytime. So it was a mess. But thank God for my parents. They were there to pick up the slack for us. Well, there you go. So that's, that's uh, obviously a big relief for you. Uh, first round knockout. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people suspected that would be the case. Uh, you uh, retweeted the odds that I had posted. I think it was plus 1250 for you to win by knockout. Uh, incredible, man. That's <laughs> incredible odds. I can't believe it. Listen, a lot of journalists, a lot of fans are all counting me out, man. A lot of them counted me out. You know, it's not a big deal, you know, so much because uh, I know who I am as a fighter and like, I really feel like I found myself. But uh, I was just shocked to see the astronomical odds. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, how many knockouts do you have in your career? I mean, because a lot of the time they base it five? on that. I think maybe five in pro MMA, but I have also Muay Thai knockouts. I have uh, boxing knockouts. I have some other knockouts. So it's just a matter and, of people uh, not understanding how good your hands are because I think a lot of people expected you to grapple in this fight. Yeah, no, for sure. And you know what? My performance in the UFC, like uh, I had in my first fight in the UFC, I rocked uh, Reginaldo Vieira in the first. I dropped him in the second. I can't believe he woke up in the second round when I dropped him in uh, that fight. And then uh, I didn't really knock anybody else down in my, my two other fights. So I guess, you know, people haven't seen me throw my power as hard, especially with that uh, Vince Morales fight. I really didn't let myself go. And uh, I was just happy that I was finally myself in the cage on Saturday. You know, I finally fought to my true potential. Yeah, you looked at the camera and you said, that's me. That's, that, that's the Eamon Zahavi you wanted to show. I finally came. I finally showed up. You know, uh, GSP called me after the fight to, you know, to talk to me because he messaged me before and, and stuff. He's a super nice guy. He always keeps tabs on me. I love him. And he told me something that was extremely interesting. And uh, it was, I have to nod my head off to him because he put it in a way that I truly understand it. He said, Eamon, imagine you have a million dollars in your bank account. And you don't have a debit card to access it. This fight is your debit card. It gave you your confidence to access that million dollars. Your million dollars is all your skills and knowledge and everything you can do. Now after this fight, you're going to have the confidence to use all your tools. And you know what? It rings true for me. You know, like I, I wasn't fighting with full confidence. But now after this fight, I feel great. I feel like I have my 10-fight experience. I, I felt calm in the octagon even before the knockout. I didn't go in there looking for it, but I'm happy it came out, you know. This is a weird question, but I think you'll understand what I mean by it. 
When does Faraz yeah. switch from being your coach to your brother after a fight? I don't I have no idea. I think I think once the result is in, <laughs> the whole fight he's always my brother, man. No, he's always in. A, he also is like a father figure to me. So he's my almost like a second father. He's my brother. He's my coach. You know, he's my confidant. He's so many things to me. How many years? You know, apart he's an incredible guys? asset to have. Sorry. How many years apart are you guys? About ten years. Eight years. Eight years. And how many how many siblings do you have? So uh, I have three older brothers. So uh, we're four total. Thras is the third uh, third born. I'm the fourth. Oh wow! So so you're so there's a, a very big gap between uh, you and yeah. Faraz, and, Listen, and you're the you're the last one. Yeah, I, 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 my parents didn't want to have a fourth, and my brother asked for Faraz asked for a younger brother. He kept telling my dad, "I want a younger brother," because my two older brothers used to pick on Faraz and beat him up. Like when the commercial would be on TV, that two minutes of commercial time. They'd be they'd be roughing up my brother, you know. So he said, "I'm gonna be a better big brother than my brothers." So he asked my dad for uh, a younger brother. My dad said, "If I give you a younger brother, you have to raise him." And uh, my brother stayed true to his word, man. He raised me my whole life. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty unbelievable story. So how how old were your parents when they had you? I think my dad was. Uh, he was born in 1948. I was born in 1987. So we'd have to do the math on that one. 41. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. That's uh, that's you know I have three kids. If my daughter asked me to have a fourth kid, I would the, the answer would just be a flat out no. <laughs> no, my my uh, my dad's great, man. You know, uh, my dad's an amazing father too. Don't get me wrong; he was always there for us too. But it was just great to see that my brother, you know, even if he was seven years old, whatever he made that promise, he stuck to it, man. And ever since I was born, he I, he's never left my side. Even like the last two years, I'm sure it was hard for him, like it was hard for me mentally to see me go through a couple of losses and. Uh, I was, you know, everyone was counting me out, but my brother never counted me out. We just kept training and we just kept improving, you know. He stood by me and I think uh, he was very excited with the result this Saturday as well. Yeah, I, absolutely. I would imagine so. Um, so first round, in and out, quick knockout. When are you hoping to get back in there? Do you have uh, any any sort of plans? And I mean, right now you're a free agent. So I think that X is an... No, the, uh... I, 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 they, got, they gave me a new contract. Actually, I got a new contract the night before because uh, when he missed weight... To, for me, like, you know, Sean Shelby made me an offer of a new contract to, you know, to help me uh, make a decision whether or not I want to take the fight. And I thought the offer was generous. So I took it. And uh, I'm happy that I also got the performance of the night. But I, now I have three fights left on my contract with the UFC. So you knew beforehand that he was going to have trouble making the weight? No, no, no. I found out at the weigh-ins. Uh, oh, right. Sorry. The night before the weight. fight. Not the night before the weigh-ins. night before the fight. Night before the fight, yeah, I knew. Like, we, we found that at the weigh-ins, and Sean Shelby wasn't there because for us, went up to go see what happened. And they're like, listen, you have to wait for Sean Shelby to come. And then uh, Sean Shelby came in and heard the situation. He went to go see Draco, and then he came to see us. And he told us what it was and that, uh, you know, Draco started rehydrating already. And then uh, he made us an offer. He said, listen, he, he told me straight off the bat, you don't have to take the fight. Do not feel pressured to take the fight. He was being very fair and honest. But he said, if you do want to take the fight, I can offer you this. You know, so I, I took his offer. Well, at least he didn't miss weight by 12 pounds. I, I've never seen anything like oh that before. Oh, my God, how crazy is that? <laughs> you know, if, you know, i got to agree with Chael Sonnen. Maybe he shouldn't have even showed up to the weigh-ins. He should have said he was sick or something. I don't know. Yeah, if I'm in that spot, I just call the ambulance and be like, yeah, something's not feeling right. i got to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, you got to figure something out, man. It's just, it's just, it doesn't look right for him because uh, he's shredded, man. 
Like I saw him there in person. He was shredded, ripped, ripped. Like it doesn't look like he had any fat on him left. And that's when he was weighing 12 pounds over. Yeah, so I'm shocked. I'm shocked. How does he make 45? It was, it's 45 his weight class. Yeah, right? he's a 45er. Yeah, man, the guy's a big boy, man. I don't know. He's got to rethink that. I don't know what it is. Or or maybe they'll hook him up with trifecta and have him on a meal plan before like his next fight for his training camp the whole time. Well, he's committed to moving up to 55, so hopefully that uh, that chapter oh, is closed. Because, yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah. that was weird. I've just never seen anything like that. I mean, Anthony Johnson missed weight once by 11 pounds when he was fighting oh, uh, Vitor yeah. Belfort. But, but that's a way higher weight class. Yeah, but still, it's, that's still a crazy amount of weight to miss it by, man. <laughs> It's crazy. It's it comes down to mental too. Like, man, how do you fight with that? Like, I, like you know what? Actually, I, I think in 2019, one of my friends was telling me that 80% of the people who missed weight won the fight, right? Something like that. There's some kind of crazy stat that the person who didn't who came overweight won 80% of the time. It's weird. It kind of bounces. Like, it's not a it's not a stat that is like consistent. Sometimes. Yeah, it, I know. But I'm just saying. I think in 2019, 80% won or something like that. One yeah. year there was like a. Uh, and then some years it's like the person that misses weight loses like more often than not I think it must just yeah, be a matchup know. thing yeah you never know but I definitely felt like when I rewatched the fight on the highlights uh, Draco looked much thicker than me <laughs> yeah absolutely um, how much weight do you cut I mean uh, like I, I'm usually around so like it depends how far off I am but I'm mostly around 155 usually, and then uh, I get down to 149, and then from 149 I, I do the fight week from 149. Okay, so it's about 13 148. pounds. Yeah, I get to I get to wait uh, the Monday either 148, 149 around there. So what do you weigh now? Like now that you're you're done, you've eaten, you're uh, you're bet, you know, you got on an airplane, you're home. This is the this is the highest weight that you're likely going to be for some time. I haven't weighed myself, but if I had to guess, I'd be 156 about. Okay. So um, are you hoping yeah. to get a call for a fight sometime sooner rather than, than uh, later? Again, uh, you uh, had a first-round knockout. Probably want to get back in there. I would love to get in there. Uh, I just want to take one week uh, for personal time just because I've been in training camp since uh, I thought I accepted a fight for June of 2020. So I've been pushing it pretty hard since then. So my training camp has been, I don't know how many months that is, man, but uh, almost a year. So I just want one week off. Uh, I'm like I'm in the gym training very lightly, like no contacts, no contact to the head, just physical training, like lifting weights and running and doing some shadow boxing. But I just want a few days with the family, and then uh, from there I'm gonna look at the who, who's available to fight, and then I'll ask Sean for something. But uh, at least uh, five or six days just to clear my head. Who were you supposed to face last June? And did you get injured or something? What happened? Um, no, I didn't get injured. COVID happened, and at the time they canceled all the cards. Before this is before. Before Dana decided to push on, and uh, you know, I don't want to say who it was. Like it's no big deal; it's done now. And then uh, when we tried to rebook the fight, that person changed weight class, and uh, that you know that fight's dead. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, you get a call soon. You can get back in there. Obviously, take some time. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Listen, I I would love you know you know June might be the best May or June. That way I have time for my body to recover from the weight cut and then I can give a full camp in. May or June would be fantastic. And then I'd love to close off the year in November or December with a third fight, man. And I'll have my first three-year fight ever in my history of fighting professionally. Well, I was going to say you're moving soon, so you got to factor that in as well. 
Yeah, yeah. My, I'm getting the keys uh, in October, so that's going to be great. Okay, so you got lots of time then. All right. <laughs> lots of time, man. Lots of time to chill. That's why I'd want to bang one out in uh, June. It'd be perfect. All right, Damon. Well, congratulations uh, on your success this past yeah. weekend. Uh, a big. Uh, I know Ariel's taking a lot of credit for it, but uh, we know we all know who, yeah. who scored the knockout. Hawaii boxing, guys. It's Hawaii boxing. <laughs> Listen, Aaron, let him know. I want to challenge him to a basketball game. Listen, if he doesn't want to do a fighting exhibition, we'll do a 1v1 basketball match. Uh, sorry, yeah, basketball. I think he likes b-ball. I'm terrible at it. He's got the height advantage. It'll just be fun, man. Maybe we can do something like that. Well, what if you just start grappling with him in the middle of the game? Maybe, maybe he'd be worried about that. If, if, if he's Listen, really like... Tec technical foul. I don't know what they call it in, in uh, basketball when you start fucking getting physical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, hey, have a, you have Aaron, it. Aaron, I want to... I wanna... <laughs> I want to say a special thank you to you for being uh, one of the first guys to reach out to give me an interview after the fight, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, it's uh, it's a big moment, obviously, for you. And, uh, you know, as a, as a Canadian, it's it's great to see uh, all the Canadians that, that have success. And uh, a first-round knockout for you is uh, obviously a very big deal for you. A bonus is a big deal for you. So it's uh, it's great to yeah. see your success. And uh, and thanks for your time. I appreciate it, Eamon. Hope to get, hope you, to get thanks, uh, see you back in there soon. There for all the, thanks for being in there for all the Canadian fighters, man. I appreciate your time. He's in the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card against Cyril Gan. It is Jair Zinho, Rosenstrike. Uh, Jair Zinho, I hope you're doing well. Uh, this past weekend, of course, uh, a big main event in the heavyweight division. Derek Lewis stunning the world, really, with a, a, an incredible knockout over uh, Curtis Blades. What did you think of that when you saw it? Nah, it was nice. Uh, it was a great timing from Derek Lewis, bad timing for, for Blades, of course. But, uh, I mean, yeah. We all know Derek Lewis hit hard, and you don't want to run into a punch of him. We all know he hits hard, but do you think his speed is undervalued? People don't really talk about how fast he is, how athletic he is. He's a big guy, but he, he really has quick hands. Yeah, I mean, of course, um, he's been training. He, he looks uh, good. He looks fit. And then before, and yeah, I mean, the fa um, fast and power goes together. Sometimes when you're fast, it looks like you're really strong, and sometimes when you're strong, it can come fast. You have a fantastic uh, kickboxing pedigree. You were a professional kickboxer uh, at the, around the same time as you've been doing MMA. Cyril Gan was a big-time uh, Muay Thai practitioner in France. Do you like this matchup for that reason? It's you know two fighters that have a great background in their respective stand-up arts. No, I mean, I like the matchup. Uh, it's an interesting matchup, um, especially if also a striking background. Uh, we're going to see how he's going to play out this Saturday. And for me, I'm ready to go. And yeah. What part of your game have people not seen yet that you'd like them to see? I think my ground game, of course. But yeah, I don't like to get too much to the ground. I'm, more, I'm stronger striking, standing up, and I'm able to finish a fight easier there. So, But if I have to... You know, it is, it's MMA, we go wherever they want, the fights want to go, and a win, that's the only thing that matters. So you have the skills, but you prefer not to show them off, because if you're not showing them off, that means the fight's taking place on the feet. If, I'm, if I have to rank my striking level and my, my, my grappling level, I'm going to say I'm a black belt in striking, but a blue belt in, in, in grappling. So you haven't fallen in love with that part of the game just yet? You're using it more as a defensive uh, mechanism at this point? Yeah, you can say that. I'm still learning the game. As uh, long as we're fighting, we, cannot, we are not ready or we're not done learning. So soon as you, <clears throat> soon as you enter the game, and yeah. 
the grappling game is developing and I'm happy about it. How have you enjoyed uh, training in Florida and, and what do you do in your spare time when you're not at the gym? Mm, I'm enjoying the time in Florida. Uh, it's a really good living. Uh, enjoying the weather, of course. And yeah, what I'm doing, I'm not doing anything yet in my free time. Since I've been here, I've been training, developing my ground game, developing my striking, developing the MMA game. And that's one of the most important things right now. When I'm getting, when I'm more comfortable with, 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 with what I'm looking for, and then I'm going to see if I have free time to do different kind of things, like chill a little bit and go out. All right, so then what's your day like? You wake up in the morning. I don't know what time. T- tell me what time you wake up. And then what you do from the, mor- the time you wake up until nighttime on a daily basis. I wake up like 8, um, do my breakfast. I leave the house at 9.30 and be in the gym from 10 till 12. I go back home, rest, eat and rest. And then go at the gym again like 5 and be at home by like 8, 8.30. And then That's it, my day. And then what do you do at the end of the day? Do you just go to sleep at? What time do you go to sleep at? Just laying down, playing video games, till I'm tired and then go to sleep. So you're not going out and checking out Florida, seeing what's out there? Not yet, but anytime soon, I guess. So with the pandemic, you don't want to go out and get sick or get attacked with the COVID-19. Do you feel like it's not being taken seriously enough in, in the state of Florida? My dad was just there and I was worried about him when he was there. I think they take it seriously. They have testing, they have everything going on, um, protocols for the COVID-19. So I think they take it seriously. But for you, it's just the risk, right? I mean, if you can't make it to compete, that's a paycheck out the window. You have to wait wait until your next fight. That's true. But still, you have time to develop. And that's the only time that matter developing. And when you're in the octagon, you can put down your best performance. When you look at the heavyweight division, who do you think is the best fighter right now? If you were to say you put everybody except for yourself in a hat, who wins the tournament if there was a one-night tournament? I know you were a kickboxer, so you're familiar with how the tournaments work. Who comes out on top? No, I, think, um, I think I go with the top five. The top five. Any one of us can end in the top. Everything can happen in a heavyweight fight. We all hit hard. If you run into a punch, even if I don't get you full, if you're stumbling and you get another one, it's over. So I go with the top five. Does being in the main event mean anything to you? I know you've been in the main event before against Overeem. It's a five-round fight. Do you prefer a three-round fight? I know uh, this past weekend Derek Lewis said he likes a three-round fight better. But do you have a preference? No, I mean, five rounds is better. So I have more time to do the job. You can get in the octagon, feel a little bit and get it going. But for me, it doesn't matter if it's five rounds or three rounds. I'm in the conditioning to do all of them. So... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm confident about it. I know you don't like picking fights when I say, you know, who's going to win between Stipe and Francis. You don't like giving an answer, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. If Stipe wins the fight, how does he beat Francis Ngannou? And if Francis Ngannou wins the fight, how does he beat Stipe? Now, I think um, we saw it uh, in the past already how Stipe beat Francis. But I think if Francis wins from Stipe, it might be a knockout. Or he might come with some crazy wrestling and and, and, and wrestle Stipe out and then knock him out. That's something it, it's somebody didn't expect, but it might happen. You don't know. The guy's been training so long and been looking forward for this fight. So we're going to see on the March 27 what's going to happen there. When you faced Francis, what was different about that experience? I mean, obviously, it was a loss, which you don't typically do. You, you, you've been had a great record since you've uh, started MMA. But outside of that, what, what was different about that fight? 
I mean, maybe I should take him more along the way, feel him a little bit, around drag, drag him to the second round, and then see what mistake he makes. But I went there and bang right, right, right away with him, and yeah, we all know how that how that goes. Now, I saw that when you started striking with him, he had that kind of look in his eye. When you saw that in the cage, did, did that was that different than than when you face other people? Nah, I mean, um, he caught me first. I was looking for the same punch, but he caught me first. So next time that won't happen again. And I'll make sure for that. Who's the best technical striker you've ever faced? I know that's what Cyril is kind of known for, as being a really good precision striker. But having come from the kickboxing world, who do you think that person is that you've, that you've been up against? I think it was Overeem, but he, didn't, he doesn't even strike with me. He went right away for the grappling, so... I don't think I face a different cyber school. Yeah. No, no one. Didn't see it yet. What about in kickboxing? Who, who was the best kickboxer you ever faced? Oh, let me see. Almost forgot all those opponents, man. Sorry. It's been too long. <laughs> it's, a long it's a long time ago. Don't you have, a, you have a win over one of the top guys in glory, though. I can't remember. Was it Jamel, Jamel Ben Sadiq? Did you face him or, uh, or Adek Bowie? You fought one of those guys, didn't you? Was that a boy? Yeah, Benny Adek Bowie. He's he's really good. You you got a win over him. If I am I right about that? Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, you remember that correctly. Yeah, it was uh, 2011, I guess. <laughs> it's almost 10, <laughs> 10 years ago, my friend. Well, it's been <laughs> it's been great seeing your ascent in the UFC. Uh, hopefully, this heavyweight division clears up a little bit in the coming months, and uh, we see you in there fighting for a championship sometime in 2021. Uh, appreciate your time, sir, and best of luck this weekend against Cyril Gunn. Thank you, sir. Nice talking to you and speak to you next time. Bye. I'm now joined by one of the headliners of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card is Cyril Ghosn, who will be taking on Jair Rosenstrike. So you've only been fighting professionally for just over two years. When did you start practicing mixed martial arts? And are you surprised that you're able to get to a main event of a UFC card so quickly? Yes, I'm a little bit surprised, but that, that that's a that's a really good news. I'm really excited about that. Absolutely. So, uh, Jerry Rosenstrike, I'm sure you watch all the heavyweights in the division. How do you rank him? How do you think he is in, in comparison to all the different heavyweights that you've seen in the UFC so far? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a real tough guy, and I think it's a young guy. It's uh, and he's he's tough. Yeah, I think he's gonna be my biggest test in my career. You got your biggest start in a TKO, a Quebec-based promotion uh, run by uh, Stefan Patry. How did you sign up with uh, TKO? How did they find you? Uh, with the with the management with the management factory, uh, he did the job. He did a great job. For my first fight in TKO, uh, I did it for the best, and that's it was really crazy. Yeah, Fernando's done a good job of getting a, a lot of the different French talent over to TKO. You've got the, the Lapalus brothers as well uh, as yourself. So uh, now that you've been in the UFC for some time, uh, how does it compare to the other promotions you've been in previously to this? Does it feel a lot bigger? Um, I learned a lot with the TKO. I learned a lot with the TKO because you have all you have uh, the the things like the biggest uh, the biggest uh, promotion like like the UFC. So I learned a lot, and I'm really happy to do this. 
What was it like for you going over to Fight Island? Uh, you had a, a new opponent who came over and then was not allowed to fight. You had gone all the way that way uh, to learn that you, you, you were not going to have an opponent and you had to stay uh, on Fight Island for a little bit. What was that like for you uh, in terms of your experience with the UFC? Oh yes, I have uh, I have uh, five dead cancelled, five dead cancelled. So we keep in training like uh, like uh, anytime the UFC come to to say us, okay, we're gonna wait three or three weeks more, and you're gonna fight again. But five times like that, so it was a little bit long, and uh, and, uh, and 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 and. Uh, we have a we have a present for the hand of the on the 2020 with Junior Santos, so we did well, and uh, I'm happy of this year. Has it been hard to find your to find opponents? Are there is it difficult for you to find people that actually want to face you because they know how good you are? But I think now it's going to be uh, less difficult than uh, maybe uh, to fight because um, I was between you understand the young fighter with a with a little palmaris and a, a little record and but now I mean now I'm, I'm in the, the I'm so <laughs> one yeah exactly I'm the main event so like now I think it's it's it's, it's easier yeah, with a win, you'll probably be in the top five of the heavyweight division, and everybody wants to be in the top five of the heavyweight division. So I have a feeling once that happens, uh, you're not going to have any trouble finding opponents. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly. When I, when I was uh, 15, I have only five, five, six, five, six, six, five. Yes, exactly. So that's, that's complicated to, to find someone for me. How long have you been training in mixed martial arts for overall? Uh, I started uh, three years ago in MMA. Yeah, in, in MMA, doing, doing full MMA training. Yes, 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 exactly. I started uh, just three years ago. And before that, I started uh, with the Muay Thai. Uh, they are six years ago now. So you're still fairly new to the sport. Uh, how did you get so good so quickly? I'm a fast learner. I think I'm a fast learner, and uh, and uh, because I, I love sport, I love to do different sport, and uh, and uh, and I'm really aware about that. So maybe that's I don't know exactly. Well, when you first started in the UFC, you were not comfortable doing English interviews, and I can tell that you're a fast learner because now you can do English interviews pretty much perfectly. <laughs> not really perfectly, but I try. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> how did how did you start learning uh, English? Did you use uh, Duolingo or something along those lines? Normally, uh, <laughs> I must to do some some uh, uh, some uh, some lessons, yes. some class exactly. I have a teacher. Uh, yes, I have a teacher, but I'm not a good student. <laughs> And uh, with uh, social media like 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 you, with uh, with the media like you, I train I train a lot. I learn a lot. You understand? 
you should get the Duolingo app. I know Johnny Walker, who's also in the UFC, didn't speak any English and learned how to speak from using the Duolingo app. It's fun if you're on an airplane, you can take lessons and uh, it's, a, it's a really fast way to learn from, from my experience. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that uh, a few days ago. Uh, you learned a lot and uh, maybe I'm going to do the same. I hope to. Right now, the heavyweight division, uh, it's kind of unclear beyond the next two fights. You've got the heavyweight championship. You've got uh, Francis Ngannou challenging, your former teammate challenging uh, Stipe Miocic. And then after that, it looks like John Jones is getting the next shot. What do you feel like you have to do to be the, the, uh, the next challenger for the title after that? After John Jones? Yes, after John Jones. Me? No, 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 no seriously. I think if, if I win this weekend... I think uh, yes, I'm gonna go after the best. I'm gonna go after the best, but uh, but um, yes, we will see after this weekend. We will see after this weekend. But you know, if I win, I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, eligible. I'm legit, exactly. I'm legit because uh, my record is uh, is clean. You understand? And and I'm a young guy with a, with a young blood, so maybe it's possible. How long have you been in Las Vegas for? I know your teammate Nasruddin Imavov just competed. I thought that he either it should have either been a draw or he should have won that fight because uh, he did a lot more damage in that fight. But uh, have you been here all this entire time with Nasruddin? Yes, not exactly at the same time, but yes, uh, in the five in the five week of, of Nasruddin, and uh, but I was not his sparring partner for this fight. Because I don't, I don't seem like he, like he's opponent. But uh, yes, uh, we are here from uh, since since uh, since How do you, how do you like it in Las Vegas so far? Ah no, Ah, you think he won this fight? I think it should have been a draw or he should have won the fight. Oh. I thought that the second round was oh. close and it should have been a 10-8 third round, in my opinion, for Nasruddin. Okay, okay, maybe. Yes, yes, maybe. And, and Las Vegas, yes, I like Las Vegas, but it's a little bit shame because we can go out and we can uh, we can go to the to do something, you understand? So that's a little bit frustrant, for sure. frustrated, you understand? You understand? So what are the rules like when you get back to France? Do you have to quarantine for some time? What, what are the travel uh, laws for France? It's not exactly a lockdown, but it's a... Basically, for France, protocols. Yes, just to have the, the, the test, the, 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 the negative PCR, exactly. And you can fight to go home. All right. Well, it's a pleasure uh, to meet you. Uh, I've been a, a fan of your work since your days in TKO for, as somebody from Canada. It's been a pleasure to watch you uh, grow into your career and the best of luck this weekend against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Thank you very much for your time, sir. A big thank you to our guests, Eamon Zahabi, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, and Cyril Gahn for joining us uh, on the TSN MMA show this week. Uh, always appreciate having these great guests join me for some interviews Got a lot of great interviews coming up next week. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, they're gonna be good. Let's just let's just put it that way. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to tease them just in case maybe they don't come to fruition. We don't. We also don't want to jinx the fights. We don't want to say they're gonna be on and then the fight falls through and you know it ends up uh, being a bad time. We don't want to have a bad time. We want to have a good time here at the uh, TSN MMA show. 
because uh, we hope to be here for a long time and a good time. Uh, Joe will be back with me next week uh, to talk about everything that happened this past weekend and, of course, to preview that big UFC 259 card. want to also uh, talk about a couple more news and notes. Uh, Edson Barboza has re-signed with the UFC. I was surprised by this one. And the reason why is because Barboza seemed like he was really playing hardball. He wanted to get his contract done. He wanted to, to check out free agency and all that. And I think he could have made a lot of money uh, had he gone elsewhere. But it looks like he wants to stay with the UFC He's likely going to continue competing in the featherweight division, I would imagine. And uh, if that's the case, there's so many fun fights for him uh, in that division. And uh, I'm I'm happy to see that he's back with the UFC because there are so many different matchups, uh, as I just said, in the, in the featherweight division that I, I just think could be so much fun. Like, think about him versus Yair Rodriguez. Like, you know, the, the list just goes on and on and on. I actually think that might be a good fight for Calvin Cater to bounce, you know, if he's looking for a fight... Uh, after his um, performance against Max Holloway, I just don't know how soon he wants to get back in there. Uh, the bout between Jillian Robertson, the Canadian, uh, against uh, Miranda Maverick has been rebooked for UFC 260. That uh, That's good to see. I, I like that matchup, and I'm glad that they kept it together. Uh, I saw that Antonina Shevchenko is being matched up as well. I think that's uh, sometime in May. I can't remember who with. But uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about... Uh, coming up, especially with UFC 259 on the horizon. Uh, also, keep uh, your eyes open on uh, Sports Center. We're going to have a lot of really fun features, including uh, one that I've done on uh, Israel Adesanya and about how he could potentially be making the leap to superstardom, uh, becoming a household name, perhaps. And, of course, what, what, what would happen if he ends up becoming a double champion? What's next? Because the prospect of a bout with John Jones, I think, makes everybody very thirsty. Because you've got two people that I think at that point you'd have to say that Israel is in the conversation for greatest of all time. If he remains undefeated, becomes a two division champion, becomes the first undefeated fighter to become a two division champion. Um, and then if he beats John Jones, I mean, you could you probably can't deny him at that stage to perhaps being the greatest of all time. And then if Jones, of course, beats Israel, I think that would basically cement him as the greatest of all time. So that fight has to happen uh, if if Israel is successful at UFC 259, and the thought of it is uh, is awesome. I I just can't wait for that to happen, and I also can't wait to see if Jones ends up fighting Francis Ngannou or Steven Miocic, whoever comes out of that fight. It's another great one to watch because think about it, think about this setup here, and of course this is co- completely contingent on Israel holding both belts, but you could have the heavyweight champion. Facing the light heavyweight and middleweight champion it would be the first fight that has, you know, three divisional champions fighting at once. That would be a lot of fun. I mean, you could also do Nunes versus Shevchenko and have that same scenario. We have three divisional, cha- you know, the champion of three divisions combined in a, in a single fight. That would be that would be cool. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Still a lot uh, of things need to happen before any of those scenarios can come to fruition. <laughs> so... Let's just sit tight. Let's relax. The big problem, I think, though, in, in the bantamweight division is we just don't have a real, really strong case to make for anybody to face Amanda Nunes next. Uh, you know, I don't think you can give it to Juliana Pena because she lost to Durandame. I think that you have to... I feel like if you do a Durandame home bout, the winner of that would come out as uh, being the top contender for Nunes, but Nunes has beaten both of them already, Right. So the Nunez-Shevchenko thing is starting to make a little bit more sense. Not that we haven't seen Nunez beat Shevchenko twice as well. I mean, 
that ha that happened <laughs> categorically happened. So we'll see. I mean, there's just not much more for Amanda Nunes to do in this life. You know, I, I know that uh, at the end of this season of the PFL, we're going to have a free agent in Kayla Harrison. Uh, her and Nunes are teammates, but, uh, you know, if you want to become, you want to be, be the GOAT, you got to beat the GOAT. And uh, I think that Kayla Harrison has those kind of aspirations, so we'll see how that goes. Anyhow, this has been the TSN MMA Show. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Myself, Bazooka Joe, and lots to talk about. See you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.